we do welcome you to worship this morning, and if you came with your Bibles with you, I invite you to turn to Psalm 139. If you have a smartphone that you use the U version of the Bible app, likewise you can turn to Psalm 139, or you can always go to BibleGateway.com. I use, when I preach, mostly the English Standard Version, ESV, and so if you're following along, that is the text that I will be looking at this morning. We are today in a new sermon series. A new year requires a new sermon series. And the new sermon series we are calling Take a Breath. How do I quiet my soul? We're going to be looking at some things over the the next two months on practices that we have to calm ourselves down and experience the presence of God. And our messages are also going to come around that theme. How do we rest in God, and how do we understand God's grace and God's perspective on our life? We are dividing it into two sections. A January section we're calling Inhale, where we inhale Christ, Christ's love, a different perspective. That's why we chose the text that we have for this morning, this psalm that helps us get a different perspective on who God is and how we understand God. And I hope you learn something about Psalm 139. And in February, we're going to look at our response. How do we respond to bringing God into all of our life? It's not how do we do more, but how do we respond? How do we exhale God's love and God's grace and God's goodness into our everyday living? This morning, I picked a word, one word. It's a word you may or may not know. It's the word omni. It actually was from a Latin word that means all or everything. Now, if you think of the word omni, or when I tried to think of the word omni, the first thing that came to mind was the Mugar Omni Theater. It's up in Cambridge. It is a theater at the Science Museum. It is the only omni theater in New England, even though there are about 40 omni theaters in the world. And an omni theater is a, is a theater that's an all-encompassing theater, which literally means the The screen starts at the floor, goes all the way up around, it goes all the way to the other floor. So it's a 180-degree theater. So if you're there, your chairs will lean back, and you can see beside you, in front of you, and all over the place. And it's quite an experience. So it opened in the 1980s, and when David was little, I used to take him to it quite often. He loved the theater there. He loved the different movies. To me, they always made me seasick because of all the motion going around. So a lot of times I would have my eyes closed as he was just taking it all in, and he didn't really even care what the the movie was. He just liked the experience. One time we were watching a movie about beavers, and the beaver cut down a tree, and so we're watching the tree go here, and then it fell, and it comes all the way back down to here, and little David's sitting here, and he flies over on top of me, and he looked at me and goes, did that really happen? It was so all-encompassing that he literally was caught up in the moment and felt like he was there. Omni, all, all all-encompassing, everything. Well, the reason I bring that word to us this morning is not because of the Mugar Omni Theater, but because theologians have used omni as a description for God. We talk about God being omniscient. That means all-knowing. We talk about God being omnipresent, that means in all places, and we talk about God being omnipotent and all-powerful. 
What's interesting is Psalm 139 divides into those three categories. Now, I thought I was quite bright as I was reading through the psalm and I was outlining it. I was like, oh my goodness, all three of those things appear in the text. Not the words, but the concepts. And I realized you can outline Psalm 139. And then I pulled out some commentaries and I realized that everybody already knew that. I just hadn't known it before. But if you weren't aware of it, I'm going to show you how that exists in our text this morning, that that really becomes the division of the first three sections of Psalm 139. Omni, God's allness. My dad used to say that people don't really, in their personal lives, believe that God is sovereign or all and in control. We say we do, we talk about it, we talk about it in church, we encourage others, but he said if people really believed that, they would live differently and they would trust God. And when there was a problem, a problem that they would go to prayer as opposed to trying to fix everybody else or fix every situation. And I reflect on that. In fact, David and I have talked about my dad's concept on that a lot, and we realize that that's true, that we don't understand in practical terms in our lives and how we live, how different we can live. That's what I want us to start 2022 with. How does it affect our lives? How do we change if we can comprehend this idea that we're going to see that David gives to us in, in the psalm about God being all, all-knowing, all-present, all-powerful, all-everywhere. I saw this one time on Facebook when I was going through the same emotions we all do after a shooting that happened in our country. And I posted what I often post at that point. I just put the word pray. And all of a sudden, I started getting angry responses. I'm sick of praying. It doesn't do any good. It's time for people to quit praying and start doing stuff. I even had a friend who I got in a conversation with over that and realized that we came from very different perspectives because praying is the most important thing that we can do. Amen? If we know and we believe that God is all, praying is not a cop-out. It's the opposite of that. It's taking to God the concerns that we have and knowing firsthand full well that we are trusting the one who can actually change people's hearts. Because you and I can't change people's hearts. We can't do anything to affect somebody. We can maybe affect people's behavior a little bit. We're going to talk about that until nobody's watching. But only God can do that work in our hearts, in other people's hearts, and in this world. And so as we understand this omniness of God, this allness of God, it changes how we live, and that's why we talk about it being what we want to breathe in. That's why I just asked you to inhale that this morning. Just how does my life look different if in 2022 I really comprehend completely the allness of God in my life? And according to David, it begins with this understanding that God is omniscient, all-knowing. He explains this in the first six verses of Psalm 139. Listen to the words of David. O Lord, you have searched me and you have known me. You know when I sit down and when I rise up. You discern my thoughts from afar. You search out my path and my lying down and you're acquainted with my ways. Even before a word is on my tongue, O Lord, you know it all together. You hem me in, behind and before, and you lay your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It is high. I cannot attain it. Let's remember who's writing this. 
This is not a psalm of Daniel. Now, Daniel in the Old Testament is the one guy who we don't know everything about his life, but everything that's written about him is positive. Now, I know that if you really met Daniel, he certainly made mistakes in his life, but the scriptures only tell us these wonderful, positive, God-centered things that Daniel did. That's absolutely not the case with King David. In fact, if King David lived today, we would call him a big, hot mess. Think about him. On the one hand, he slew, slew Goliath, so they've got this enemy that, from the Philistines who's challenging the armies of Israel. And likewise, he's the one who gives us the 23rd Psalm, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. So we know he's got this relationship with God. But on the other hand, he had an affair with Bathsheba. And he deceived others, including Bathsheba's husband. And ultimately, he's the one who murdered Uriah the Hittite, so he could take Bathsheba as his wife. David learned in all of that that he couldn't hide from God. No matter how powerful he was, no matter the fact that he was a king, no matter the fact that he thought that he could fool other people, no matter the fact that he thought that he was all sovereign and powerful, he discovered, and we're going to look at that in our, in our message this morning, he learned that he couldn't hide from God because none of us can hide from God. But here's what he also learned. Even though he couldn't hide from God, even though his thoughts were discerned by God, God still loved him. Our doing wrong doesn't mean that God doesn't love us. God knowing you and me intricately doesn't mean that therefore God gives up on us. It's not like some game that we're playing where God goes, oh, you know, Stan, I see you saw some bad thoughts today. You get three demerit points. God doesn't operate that way in our lives. And that's why we struggle in so many relationships in life, because that is how we tend to treat other people. We even go through life and we start thinking, you know, if other people really knew me, they wouldn't really like me. We start thinking that we have to hide stuff from other people. Maybe behaviors, if not behaviors, certainly thoughts that we have. We don't want other people to know what we're thinking. Sometimes it's things that we're thinking about a person that we're with, and we think, man, if they knew what I was thinking, they certainly wouldn't want to be having this conversation with me. God knows everything. The Bible says God knows your thoughts, and God knows my thoughts. Did you hear that? God knows our thoughts and still loves us. In fact, it's not that God still loves us. God just loves us. It's not despite what we think. It's God just loves us. He knows us completely, inwardly and outwardly, even the things that we think. And you know, our thoughts are a scary neighborhood. Every one of us. Like if we all sat around and said, now let me tell you all the crazy things I thought this last week, we'd think, wow, nobody else could think things like that and only to find out that other people thought that or worse. I was in my first church, and it was my first Sunday to have communion. New pastor, my oldest sister, came and visited from North Dakota. And she was there with us so that she was there at the worship service, and when church was over, we went home, and we all had dinner together. And my sister said, I want to ask you a question. She was proud of her little baby brother, now this guy who's a pastor. And she said, I want to ask you something I've always been afraid to ask anybody but maybe you could answer it for me. I'm like, sure, what would that be? She said, as you were serving communion, as you're handing out the bread and the juice and telling people this is a body of Christ and the blood of Christ, 
what were you thinking? I've always wondered what a pastor thinks. I said, you really want to know what I'm thinking? She said, yeah. I said, I was afraid I was going to drop the communion trays, and I'm thinking, what are people going to do if I drop this juice all over the place? We don't really want to be telling everybody our thoughts, do we? We don't really want to fully disclose ourselves to others because we know that if we discerned or others discerned who we really are, we start thinking, would they really like me? But God discerns our thoughts, even the Bible tells us, before a word is on our tongue. We can't know the thoughts of others, but God does, and we are afraid of what other people would think about us, but God already knows This all-knowing, omniscient God loves us. I ask you, just take that in. You don't need to change something to be loved by God. You don't need to be something different to, to have God desire a personal relationship with you. Every place in our world, people are trying to manipulate and get people to change. Not in our relationship with God. God tries to help us grow to become better people, But God does not begin with a a place of saying, I don't like you. Or if you change, then somehow I will care for you. In fact, what's the only thing the Bible teaches is that when we do wrong, when we go astray, God's love is so amazing that God gives us his son to die on the cross for us. Amen? Amen? To provide forgiveness. It's like no greater love has anyone than God's love for us. Now, at Christmas time, I like to watch Christmas movies. The first movie I watched this last year, you get to go a whole year before you hear me talk about another Christmas movie. But the one I watched first was Charlie Brown Christmas. And I love the scene where Lucy's talking to Charlie Brown. You do think I'm beautiful, don't you, Charlie Brown? You didn't answer me right away. You had to think about it. If you really thought I was beautiful, you wouldn't have had to think about it. You would have spoken right up. I know when I'm insulted. I know when I'm insulted. Isn't Lucy like us? Not only worried about what others think about us or worried about how we are perceived, but completely misunderstanding and misrepresenting other people's thoughts. And so we go through life with that kind of confusion in our relationships, and then the Bible says, but understand that that's not how you are in your relationship with God. God already knows the thought before it's on your mind. God already knows what you're going to say before it's on your lips. God already knows the depth and the secrets of our life. And how's God's response love? How does God treat us? Unconditionally caring. Present with us, guiding us, directing us. Helping us to do better, offering us forgiveness, giving us another opportunity. That's because God is omniscient. God is all-knowing. I don't have to go and tell God something as if somehow God is unaware. I take my concerns to God, and God already knows even before I ask. That's what the Bible teaches. And then the Bible says, and we find it in Psalm 139, in the second section, verses 7 through 12, that not only is God all-knowing, but God is all places. God is everywhere. God is omnipresent. Where shall I go, David says? to hide from your spirit? Or where shall I flee from your presence? Verse 8, if I ascend to the heaven, you're there. If I make my bed in Sheol, you are there. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell under the uttermost parts of the sea, even there your hand shall lead me, your right hand shall hold me. If I say, surely the darkness shall cover me, and the light shall be night. Even the darkness is not dark to you. 
The night is bright as the day, for darkness is light with you. God's Spirit, David reminds us, is everywhere. We can't flee God's Spirit. Now, we understand as Christians, this means the Holy Spirit. David is, is using Old Testament language and talking about the Spirit of God that hovers over the, the world and, and is present everywhere. And Jesus helps us understand that this is the Holy Spirit, God existing in three persons, that everywhere where God's Spirit is, God is present. But most importantly, what David understood is he couldn't hide from God. Even though he had done some things in his life that were awful, that he tried to hide, and he tried to keep secret, he couldn't do it. And then the Bible tells us that the prophet Nathan comes along and, and confronts him and just tells him the truth about himself and helps him look in the mirror and see what he's done because God already knew it. God had already understood everything that David had done. And then because of that, because of that revealing of what had happened, David is able to repent and realize, oh my goodness, God's grace and God's love is there, but I need to make, go through changes. And he gives us Psalm 51 where he prays, create in me a clean heart, O God. Change and transform my lives. Because you see, we and our loved ones are never lost to God. We talk about things like, I turned my back on God. No, you didn't. I ran away from God. No, you didn't. I have a friend or a child or a loved one who they're out on their own path and, and they've turned their back on God. No, they haven't. They may think they have, but they haven't because the Bible teaches we're not able to do that. So no matter where someone is or no matter what we go through or no matter what we may think, it really in the end doesn't matter because it's how God reacts and God is always present everywhere. Even the Bible teaches us, and we saw this in the psalm, even the things that we find the most scary, the things that cause us to be fearful, the places in life or the things that we go through, that we go, how in the world will I ever go through that? I'm going to be all alone. No, we're not, because God is present. God is everywhere. No matter what I face, God is carrying me and, and watching over, and God's Spirit is guiding it's funny, when I became a pastor, one of the first things I started realizing is people thought I was an expert. Little did they know, a lot of times I answered questions with, you know, let me get back to you, only to go back and look it up somewhere and hope that I could find an answer for someone. One of the first times that happened was when an elderly woman, her name was Dorothy, invited me over to her home. Pastor Stan, I have something I need to talk to you about. Sure, Dorothy, what's that? Well, you need to understand, I'm, I'm a New Englander, okay? My family's from Salem. I'm related to the Peabody's. It's amazing. My family loves the ocean. We've been ocean people forever. And I've been reading the Bible, and it tells me that there's no ocean in heaven, and I'm very troubled. What do you mean there's no ocean in heaven? She goes, Revelation 21 says right there, the new Jerusalem and the sea was no more. Good. That's a really interesting question. I need to get back to you on that. So over the years, I pondered that and looked at that and thought, why does that exist? Or what is, what is John seeing in heaven when he talks about no sea? Now, to a lot of New Englanders, that, that puts fear in people's hearts. You mean, I, I don't get my beautiful sailboat in heaven? Well, guess what you do? Because here's what it is all about. In the ancient world, the sea was a scary place. 
It was a place that no one knew what was out there. No matter how hard they tried, they didn't know what it was. And so you'd have your loved one who would get on a boat and they'd go out on the Mediterranean Sea and you'd see them go out and they'd be past the horizon and all of a sudden the boat was gone. And you'd pray that that boat would come back and if the boat came back, they didn't have any problems. But if it just disappeared, it just disappeared. It was gone. They didn't have a helicopter to send out after it. They didn't have some search way. They didn't have sonar to go check what's down in the depths. And so people started imagining and they started seeing that the sea was a scary place. It was necessary, but it was also scary. And they started imagining a Leviathan, this big, big dragon living out there that must be taking people. And so the sea became this place of great fear. And so when John is imagining and understanding and having a vision of heaven, he's like, there's nothing to be afraid of in heaven. All the stuff that gives us fear and pause is gone. However, wherever it is, no matter how bad, no matter how much we fear it, no matter how afraid we are, God is present there for us and for our loved ones, period. No matter what. That's amazing. We're invited to rest in that because we can't fathom that. I can't be with my loved ones everywhere. My loved ones can't be with me everywhere. But the Bible teaches us that no matter what, there is nowhere where we or anyone is left alone by God or deserted by God or God is not present with us. And then the psalmist says, and even the darkness is as light to God. What does that mean? That means God pursues us. That means no matter where we are, no matter where we go, no matter what we do, we may feel like we're hiding, but we're not hiding. That God knows and God sees. And God penetrates the darkness places. So we have a loved one who's going through something tough and they're running away, quote-unquote, from God and they're in what we call darkness. No, they're not. Because God sees. God's eyes penetrate. And God's spirit is working. We've seen it in our own lives, at those times in our life when we feel as if things are all dark around us and then somebody just happens to call us. No, God leads somebody's heart to make a phone call or somebody gives an encouraging word or someone is present in a new way or something new we experience and we say, was this just coincidence? No, this is God's being present in every situation. In the 1890s, there, there was an author, a Christian writer, Francis Thompson. And he wrote a poem called The Hound of Heaven. And he tried to imagine what this means that God pursues us. And he compared God's pursuit of us to a hound on a hunt. And said, if you ever watch a hound out on a hunt, they just continue to go and continue to go and continue to go and they don't give up. And we've seen that image of, of, a, of a hound with its nose to the ground just pursuing the hunt. He said, only God with us pursues us out of love and out of care and out of wanting to bring us back no matter what we've done, no matter what we do, no matter where we go, God just continues to come after us. God's omnipresence means we're not alone and our loved ones aren't alone. And we may think we wander, but God pursues. Isn't that what Jesus talks about when he tells a story of the lost lamb? He says, you know, there's a shepherd and he's got a hundred lambs and one of them wanders off. And what does he do? Go to his wife and say, honey, we got 99 lambs. We're doing pretty well, so let's just count our losses. No. Jesus says he pursues the one. And we've seen the image of Jesus, the lamb, 
over his shoulders, bringing the lamb back, because that's what God does. God pursues. Even in the darkness, God comes after us. That's what we're invited to breathe in. Jesus then says there's a lady who has coins. She only has 10 coins. It's all she owns. And she desperately needs that money to live her life. And one day she loses one of her coins. What does she do with the coin that she loses? She searches and she searches. And she constantly searches until she finally finds it. And then she rejoices, just like the shepherd, in rejoicing over finding that which has been lost. And that is the image of God coming after us in darkness. For us and our loved ones, For God is always present, and no matter where someone is and no matter what we go through, God's going to be there in 2022. I go back to 2020. We thought we were quite cute here at Faith Community Church along with a lot of other churches in our country. We all talked about having 2020 vision. That means perfect vision. It means we all had plans and things that we were going to do, and we knew where God was leading us, only to a couple months later to be totally shut down, and we didn't even get to experience Easter here in our sanctuary. I guess we weren't so smart, were we? And I guess we don't see it all, do we? But God does. God wasn't fooled. God wasn't taken by surprise. Same thing in our lives. Whatever we face in the year ahead, we can relax, not because we know what's coming, not because we have the answer, but we trust in the one who's already seen it, already knows it, already goes before it. Is that not amazing? That's what we trust in. We don't trust that God's going to give us all the answers or we're going to be smarter than someone else. We trust that we believe in the one who's there already. Who even in the darkness, darkness is not dark, but sees it all. Because our loving God is omniscient and omnipresent and finally all-powerful. God who is omnipotent David knew that God is absolute power. He understood it because we're going to read about that in the last section of this psalm. But what's it mean for us? Because you see, we have a warped view of power. As soon as we start thinking of power, we start thinking of corruption. Because we've experienced it so many times with human beings. A politician gets up and promises people everything. And then they get elected only to do the exact opposite of what they promised everybody. And so we have a saying for it. We say power corrupts and absolute power corrupts absolutely. Because that's a human experience with power. People use power for the wrong reasons. People use power to become predators or to have power over another person or to mistreat people. And so when we try to look at human power, it's something that concerns us. But power is how we understand God. How does God use his power? completely different than human beings do. We talk sometimes about this idea in the Old Testament where it talks about having fear of God, and people go, oh, what's that about? Does that mean I should be terrified by God? No, that's about understanding God's power and having a healthy respect for what power means. My family, my mom's family, was from Ontario, and many times I've been to Niagara Falls on the Canadian side, and there's a place where you can stand and hold the rail And right in front of you, Niagara Falls just rushes over with all that power. I don't stand there and get terrified. I don't stand there and go running away going, oh, oh, that falls is going to come out and get me somehow. But I have a healthy respect for the power of that just immense thing that's happening in front of me. Likewise, we have power outlets around here. 
We don't take a fork and stick it in the power outlet and say, gee, let me see if something bad happens. Because we have a respect for what that power is. And likewise, in our lives, we don't go through life being fearful of God, being like, oh my goodness, God's going like, to get me because God's powerful. That's a human corruption of power. God's power is turned towards love and towards creation, towards creating, to doing good in our world, to making our world a better place, to making your life a better place. If you give your life to God in 2022 and you trust in the one who has all power, you're turning your life over to say, God, make a better life for me. Help me to be the best person I can be. Transform my heart, amen? That's what we're asking ourselves to soak into. Verses 13 through, 19, or through 16. David talks about God's power. You formed my inward parts. You knitted me together in my mother's wombs. I'm fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works, O God. My soul knows it very well. When I was made in secret... I was intricately woven in the depths of the earth. Your eyes saw my unformed substance. In your book were written every one of them, the days that were formed for me, when as yet there was none of them. How precious to me are your thoughts, O God. How vast is the sum of them. If I would count them, they are more than the sand. I awake and I am still with you. What a way of understanding God. To understand the one who's all-powerful uses that power to create. God knitted your inmost parts. Kind of changes your perspective on yourself, doesn't it? You were carefully made by God. You were fearfully and wonderfully made. You were formed by God. What a difference 2022 can make in our lives if we can quit thinking we're a mistake or there's something wrong with me or I somehow need to compare myself to someone else and can just simply accept the fact that we are who God created and God knew exactly who he was creating and how he was creating. The Bible teaches that God looks at creation and says it's good. It doesn't mean that sin doesn't exist and we can't bring corruption but the truth is, God's work is to create good in our lives and good in our world, and that's how we're asked to live the year ahead. How do you feel about yourself? Remember, feelings lie. If you have negative feelings about yourself, your feelings aren't telling you the truth. What do you think about yourself? If you're thinking negative thoughts, remember, our thoughts deceive us. What have others said about you? It actually doesn't matter because no one else is our judge. We stand before God, the sovereign God of this universe, who invites us to put our lives into his care. The problem is we have a limited view of things, and we so misunderstand. And even as we misunderstand, we think somehow we have it figured out, and we don't. The central event of human history is the death of our Savior. God's love comes to this world. And Jesus walks among us and heals and forgives and treats people the way people should be treated. He lives a life without sin and he's put on the cross. And what happens on the cross? Human beings can't even comprehend what's going on. All-powerful God sees it as a victory. Human beings question it all. Mary stands there and weeps and says, my son is dead. 
I just lost a son this day. The disciples get afraid and they run away. No matter what Jesus had taught them, they didn't understand the power of God. They didn't understand what God was doing. And so because of their limited viewpoint and their limited thoughts and thinking that they had it all figured out, what they should have been doing is standing there that day and praising God saying, wow, the world has changed. Our Savior has died. Let's wait for his resurrection. Instead, they're running and hiding out. Even Peter denies Jesus three times. The soldiers, they're making fun of Jesus. They're sitting there casting lots for his garments. And those who are in power think we finally got him. We won. Somehow they think they've got it figured out. Even Satan laughed. Finally did it. Finally evil wins over good. But God's all-powerful. And God has a different perspective on it all. And that's what we're invited to do, is to trust to know that God that day saw victory. Everyone else saw defeat. And three days later, the world's transformed as our Savior raises from the dead. Think again how different our lives would be if we simply would put our, our lives in the hands of the one who's all-powerful and say, I may not understand it. I may not get what's going on, but you do. I don't have to know it all. I don't have to have it all figured out in my mind. I can look at things that can look awful, but the Bible teaches that God will bring good out of every situation in everything, Paul says in Romans. God brings good and is working for good. Have you ever fully trusted him? That's really my question as we begin 2022. What is your relationship with the all-knowing, all-powerful, all-present God? the omni-God. Have you really put your lives in his hand? Have you really said, Jesus, take my life today and every day in the future? As we end our message today, I invite you to say a prayer with me as a congregation. It's the same prayer I said many years ago when I gave my life to Jesus. I invite us to just put God God, the sovereign God of this universe, the omni-God, the one who knows what tomorrow's going to bring, even though we don't, the one who knows the good and the bad and the great things, the things we're going to feel great about this year and the things that we're not going to feel so great about, I invite you to put your life in his hand. Please repeat these words after me if you'd like to. Heavenly Father, I trust you with my life. Thank you for giving me, Jesus, to be my Savior. I trust you. And I ask for your plans for my life. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. The Bible teaches that if you've never prayed that prayer before and never trusted in Jesus, that there are angels in heaven rejoicing. And if you've walked with Christ for a long time in your life, there's still angels rejoicing, knowing that we're trusting and continuing to put our lives in Christ's hands. That's what we start breathing in this year. Not what do I need to do, what more thing, what more place do I need to go, but how can I begin a new year knowing that God's got it covered? 